Any questions from last week before we start to look at chapter 8? Because remember, it's been two weeks. We were in chapter 7. And remember what happened in chapter 7? It's kind of sad. Definitely sad. The stoning of Stephen. That's right. We saw Stephen um, basically bearing witness. He was testifying. He... Um, preached to those who were putting him on trial. And remember, we, we listened, we read his big long sermon to them last time we met, two weeks ago. Um, and so we saw, we saw what he was preaching. He was preaching, the charge against him was that he was speaking against Moses and against what else? Do you remember the second thing? Was the, the law? The, it was, well, the law, in the law is associated with Moses. You know, they say Moses and they mean Moses and the law and the covenant. And then also the temple, the place of worship. So ethics and worship are the two concerns. And the thought is that um, Stephen is probably preaching or teaching that Jesus came to fulfill both of those parts of the Jewish faith, those institutions of um, Judaism, and that was so offensive to them. They saw that as blasphemy against God himself, and the punishment for blasphemy in the Old Testament is stoning. And so, in some ways, you could see, if they really believed that he was blaspheming their actions, as horrible as they are to us, their actions are actually the actions of a faithful Jew. Woe to them if they didn't um, do this, if they really thought that he was blaspheming. But there they go. But it's horrible because um, they don't see the truth um, in Jesus. They don't see um, what we see and what we know about Jesus. Okay, so we've, let's pray, and uh, then I'll keep giving you a little more background before we get into today's passage. But one more announcement before we pray. I keep forgetting all sorts of different things. But on your handout, in bold, you'll see some announcements. Obviously, maybe not obviously, but we will not have class next Friday because of Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. But the week after that, we will have uh, an event, and that's the Christ in the Christmas Crunch. Um, same speaker, different place. So don't come here to Cranmer House. Go to the club. Okay? And then after that, we'll continue on in Acts for a couple of weeks before Christmas. So let's say our couple of verses at the top of the handout, and then I'll pray for us. Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has dawned upon you. For behold, darkness covers the land. Deep gloom enshrouds the peoples. But over you the Lord will rise. And his glory will appear upon you. Nations will stream to your light. And kings to the brightness of your dawning. And so now, Lord, indeed, we ask that as we dig into your word, as we study your scripture, Would you make manifest to us all it is that you have done for us in Jesus Christ, all it is that you do for us by the power of the Holy Spirit, um, so that we might find manna and strength for our journeys today through studying your word. We trust that you will do that because you are so faithful. We love you and we praise you and we ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. So, um, on your handout you'll see there's the first part... Excuse me. Come on in. There's an extra handout there, too. Um, I talk about to the ends of the earth. Remember that, um, does someone, can someone quickly flip back to chapter 1, verse 8? Well, I start to draw. Just read chapter 1, verse 8. <coughs> 
But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes to you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Ooh, did everyone hear that? Someone else, will you read it again, Barbara? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is Jesus saying this. He's telling the disciples that power will come upon them, the Holy Spirit will come upon them, and one of the results of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit and the dwelling of the Holy Spirit in the hearts of those who love Jesus is that they will be pushed out from Jerusalem, from where they were all huddled together. It was this great party. They had such wonderful fellowship there in Jerusalem in the place where God had been worshipped for so many centuries. And um, in this holy huddle, they had experienced so much joy. Um, remember in chapter 2, verse 42, we hear that they were, um, they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. So they're having a good old time in Jerusalem. And one of the things that's going to happen is that they're going to get pushed out of Jerusalem. And why? Why are they in, within God's scheme and God's purposes based on um, what Jesus says in chapter 1, verse 8, why are they getting pushed out of Jerusalem? To share the gospel. And where are they going to share the gospel? Everywhere. Yes, and it says says (laughs) Judea. Okay, so Judea was the place right around Jerusalem, right there, Judea. And then where does it say next? Samaria. Samaria. Samaria was the city, but it was also uh, the sort of northern part there. Galilee is up here. This is the Jordan River. This is the Dead Sea. That's the Mediterranean Sea. This is Palestine. So Judea, Samaria, and where else? Okay, so I guess we've got to have more shockwaves. Do you like my shockwaves? So we have shockwaves. The gospel um, is going to go out. Um, The epicenter of what God has done is right there in Jerusalem where Jesus died for us and rose from the dead where the first church receives the Holy Spirit. All of these amazing things that have happened um, and now it's going to go out, 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 even to the ends of the earth. And by the end of the book of Acts in chapter 28, what are we going to see? Do you remember? We'll see that um, Paul is going to, I'm telling you the end of the story before we get there. I'm one of those people that reads the last page of the novel, which is terrible. But I have limited time, and if I don't like the ending, I just gave a novel back to someone, and I knew that both of the main characters were going to die. I mean, I was like about 50 pages in. I knew it. I knew the two main characters were going to die, and I just thought, I'm done. I don't want to read this. I don't, I don't have enough time for this. I would so much rather spend my time reading something I like so much better. And so I said, no way, no how. I gave the book back, and I haven't read it. So there is something good about reading the last page. You know, if you, you, I won't judge you if you don't, and please don't judge me because I do. And, uh, but so reading the last page of the book of Acts, we see, we'll see, and this is part of the fun part, knowing, wow, Paul made it all the way to Rome, the very center of the known world, the end of the known world for those who lived in Palestine. That was so far away. So that was such a big deal. Um, and we're going to get to see how the Holy Spirit brings the good news about Jesus even all the way to Rome. So we're starting to see it in this epicenter. Like an earthquake, there are shock waves going out. And what is it that's going to push 
the newborn baby Christians out of Jerusalem. Why would they ever leave Jerusalem? It's like the nest where everything has happened, where the church was born. Why would they leave the comfort and the joy in Jerusalem? Persecution? They got uh, what? Sorry, what did you say, Sarah? To spread the word. There's this positive. They're called to spread the word, and they know this. Um, and and yet, I, I will never leave a comfortable place. I will really not ever leave a comfortable place. We we notice this on Thursday mornings with the outreach service. When it's really cold out, we actually have fewer people that come out to receive a free lunch and to worship with us on Thursday mornings. And part of that is because if they found a warm place in the midst of the really cold weather, they're not going to get. They're not going to leave that warm place just for some beanie weenies. They're going to stay right where they are. Um, and wisely, they do that wisely. So what is it? It is this persecution. They do have this motivation to preach the gospel, but God's going to give them a little push. God is going to use the suffering that comes upon them for good. And they might not have been able to realize that at the time, but Luke, decades later, is taking the bigger picture, and he's saying this was for the Lord's glory. This suffering that we experienced in those early days is for the Lord's glory, and so we can trust that any suffering we're going to continue to experience as Christians and as a church will glorify God somehow, even if we can't see how or can't understand why. So the persecution of Stephen, we saw this persecution building up to Stephen. Remember in chapter 3, Peter and John were arrested for having um, healed that lame man in the name of Jesus. They're arrested again and and they're tried in chapter 4. And remember that the council had said, we're not gonna we're not gonna punish you, but they did. They flogged them, but not a more severe punishment. Flogging was pretty serious, but um, we're not gonna kill you. But don't do it again. Don't preach in this name, the name of Jesus. And um, what did they do? But they went ahead and did it again. Uh, in chapter five, they said, "Well, we have to obey God and not you." And so in chapter five, they're found to be preaching and healing and teaching again in the name of Jesus, and they're arrested. And then remember what happened was the angel of the Lord came and got them out of prison got Peter and John out of prison and the other apostles out of prison, and it was kind of embarrassing for the council. They went to go find them, and they were not there, and they were embarrassed, and they kind of let it go. But now, Stephen, in chapter 6, Stephen was made into an official leader in the church so that he and the other seven, we, we could call them deacons. Their job was to serve and to minister to those in need within the community, especially those who were Hellenistic, the Hellenistic Jews, those in need, the widows um, within the Hellenistic circles of the Jewish church. And so um, they're taking the abundance of resources that's being brought forward, and they're the ones who will distribute. But they also have gifts of teaching and preaching, and they also seem to have gifts of healing and doing signs and wonders. Both Stephen, and we're going to see today that Philip, who's another one of the seven, also appears to have these gifts. We don't know if they had them before the apostles laid hands on them, or if um, that was part of how they were recognized as leaders, but it's still really cool. Whether we, you know, whether it happened before or after the laying on of the hands of the apostles, it's neat to see the Lord working through not just the apostles, but other leaders in the early church. So Stephen, um, there's an argument against him. As we said, there's a twofold charge, and he preaches beautifully, but he also is He's challenging them. He's challenging his hearers in chapter 7, and he accuses them. And his accusation of them results in his stoning. 
And those who stoned him laid their coats at the feet of Saul of Tarsus. And we hear at the first few verses that we read last week, two weeks ago of chapter 8, that Saul approved of Stephen's execution. And then as a result of this first martyrdom, this first Christian martyr, Stephen, then there's a persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea, outside of Jerusalem, and Samaria, even beyond that, except the apostles stayed in Jerusalem. So there's this persecution. It pushes the new Christian church out of Jerusalem, and um, then they are able to do what they would want to do, which is preach the gospel, and they go out. We're going to see Philip wonderfully preaching the gospel in Samaria. He's going to preach in Samaria. He's also going to preach on the road on the way back down. Remember that if this is... This is Sinai, this is Palestine. Down here we're going to get to um, Egypt is over here, and Ethiopia would have been down there. Ethiopia was the region uh, of the upper Nile. Um, that's in scripture when it says Ethiopia, that's what it references, not the current geopolitical kingdom. So the road to, down there, you couldn't go through the desert, you had to stick kind of around here. So um, Philip is going to be trans- kind of transported by the Holy Spirit. It's a little cool, a little bit like Elijah in the Old Testament. He's just zooming around. So he's up in Samaria first, and the Holy Spirit takes it in. He's like a superhero. And he ends up down. Um, I'm kind of obsessed about superheroes right now. You might see it in a class. And then he goes down through on the, um, to Gaza on the road to back to Ethiopia. And he encounters this Ethiopian eunuch who is an official in the court of Candace, who would have been the queen mother in the Ethiopian court. So what is going on here in this passage? In chapter 8, we're going to see in this big picture that these two groups of people, or these two kinds of individuals, Samaritans and then the one person, Ethiopian eunuch, they're both people, they were, pro- they were probably, they're not officially Gentiles, are they? They're not Gentiles. The first Gentile who's going to come to faith we're going to see is Cornelius, who's a Roman centurion or Mm, Roman official. I, I don't want to say centurion because I can't remember off the top of my head. haven't studied it yet. It's in the future. I have, but not in depth, again, recently. But the two um, Samaritans, first of all, there's this big, long history of Samaria. And it goes back to 1000 B.C. when the two kingdoms divided after Solomon's reign, after King Solomon's reign, the ten tribes, ten tribes in the north of Palestine said they rebelled against Solomon's son and they said we're going off on our own and they had their own kingdom up here in the capital of the kingdom the northern kingdom of Israel was Samaria and the southern kingdom was had its capital at Jerusalem the southern kingdom was composed of two tribes the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin so down here we have those two tribes up here we have the ten tribes and they they existed like this for a couple hundred years and what happened was that the upper tri- the, the tr- northern kingdom, because they were upset with the southern kingdom, they didn't want income and revenue from their kingdom, from their uh, constituents and citizens to go to Jerusalem, to the capital of the southern kingdom. But that meant that those of the northern kingdom were discouraged by their kings from worshiping in the temple at Jerusalem. What that meant was the kings of the northern kingdom set up other places of worship for the people of their kingdom in Shechem, in Samaria, in Bethel. And so those northern Israelites worshipped in those places and in ways that Yahweh had not condoned. And so you see in the prophets 
that that was not okay. Not only did they not worship in Jerusalem, but then they also engaged in syncretism, which is a fancy word for saying they mixed a little bit of this, they mixed a little bit of that, and with their religious practice. We see this a lot today when in the marketplace of ideas, we encourage people to do a little bit of this. Well, I really like Buddhist philosophy, and I really like um, praying through the icons of Eastern orthodoxy, and I believe in this, and you kind of mishmash together. It's a smorgasbord. It's like a potluck supper. Well, and <laughs> my parents hated having potluck suppers because with four children, you could never make sure that all four of us were not all eating only desserts. You know, there were like 10 desserts and probably sweet potato casserole, and those were the only things we wanted to eat. The green beans, that was not going to happen, <laughs> right? If it, was, if it was a smorgasbord and you could go on your way through Guaranteed, four young children, we're not going to get a healthy meal. So there's this idea that we can pick and choose from different religions. And that's a prevailing idea in our culture today, isn't it? You see it in the media. You see it all over. You see it in friends that you might know who say, well, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. I'm spiritual, but I don't go to church. I don't believe. I think there are many ways to God. Well, I can take a little bit of this and a little bit of that and mix it together, no problem. That's syncretism. And that's what was happening in the northern kingdom. And the Lord did not like that. He would say through his prophets, that is not okay. That's actually idolatry. Because then you're not worshiping me. And they would say, yeah, yeah, we believe in you. And this and that. No, just Yahweh. <laughs> that's what he was trying to teach them over those hundreds of years. And they didn't get it. They continued and persisted in their idolatry. And so he withdrew his protection from them. And what that meant was that in 722, I wish I had another color. 722, oh, that's a bad one. 722, the northern kingdom was taken into exile, oops, into Assyria. And um, what happened, the Assyrians were really smart uh, emperors and overlords. What they did in order to continue to subjugate whatever peoples they had conquered, what they would do is they would take all of the upper class out of the land, so all of the Jewish elite, all of the people who were educated, who were involved in all the different sectors of life that helped keep the kingdom, the northern kingdom running, the Assyrians took all of those people with them into exile, away from their homeland, and then what they did is they brought peoples from all sorts of other nations that they conquered, and they resettled them back here in the northern kingdom. And they took, have you heard that before? That there was this removal, and the same thing happened with the southern kingdom when Babylon, you know, in uh, like 150 years later when um, Jerusalem was conquered by the Babylonians, they also took the upper class, the educated class, the skilled class, all the artisans, all the workers, and they took them away into exile, and then they repop repopulated, especially up here they repopulated, not as much down here, but a little bit. And so what happened was that there was an intermingling. Those people who were brought back into northern Israel, what they did was they, not only were they um, syncretistic, were the Jewish people who were there syncretistic, but now there are all these new religious ideas coming in from all these other people. So there were even more numbers of other religions to be able to intermingle with and to um, pick ideas and practices from. So the southern Jews, when they returned, the Judeans returned to Jerusalem, they were very um, disparaging of the Samaritans. The Samaritans were bad news, and they believed they were bad news for two reasons. First of all, they had intermarried with non-Jews, and that intermingling was seen as being 
um, tied into also this syncretism of religious practices, this intermingling of faith. And so they felt like they were not worshiping Yahweh purely, and they had great disdain for them. So even though on some people's um, account they could be Jewish, ethnically you're Jewish if your mother's Jewish. I don't know if you knew this. But not if your father, your mother has to be Jewish for you as a child to be Jewish. And um, so even so, though, these southern Jews would say, you're not really Jewish. You say you're Jewish, but you're not really Jewish. So they poo-pooed the Samaritans. So they're not quite Gentiles, but nor either are they pure Jews who are allowed to worship in the very inner parts of the temple in Jerusalem. They're kept on the outside circle. Okay, any questions about that before I go tag uh, eunuchs? Then we got to read time. Eunuchs, in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy, it says that no one who has been deformed in their physical body, no male, because, okay, are you done? Can I erase this? I'm going to do another little math. Oh, I think I could do it down. No, I'm going to erase it. Is it another side? Yeah, you're right. In the temple, that's not a good sound, is it? I don't think it's been done in a while. I don't think it has been done in a while. I think I'm the only one that uses this thing. Okay, this is in the temple. In the temple, do you remember where, what is at the very heart of the temple? The Holy of Holies. Holy of Holies. And what was in there? Do you remember, Liz? Yeah, the ark. I'm going to try to draw the ark. You don't want to see my cartoon, okay? And angels and the mercy seat and in the ark were the tablets and the bud of Aaron that, that or the staff of Aaron that budded and the manna and all of this wonderful, the signs and remembrances of the Lord's presence in their midst and even the very presence of the Lord. That's a really bad angel. Angel. And there's another angel, these giant golden angels dwarfing the um, Ark of the Covenant, and it was meant to mirror the throne of God in heaven. It was a physical, pure gold representation of the throne of God in heaven. So that's at the very heart. I'm going to draw a little heart around it. That's the very heart of the temple. Who got to go in that place? Do you remember? According to only the priest, and not just any priest, but the high priest. And when did he? Do you remember when he got to go in? It was not very often. One day a year. So the Day of Atonement. Which is what? Rosh Hashanah? I would, I would forget. Oh, don't ask me. Don't ask me. I don't know. Rosh Hashanah is the day of Atonement. It is. I believe you're right. I always forget and I should know. I get embarrassed when I don't know. Okay, so the high priest goes in. He would go in with bells on his feet so that the other priest could hear if he stopped moving around. He also had a little leash on his foot so that if he keeled over, they could pull him out. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Because he was unclean, he was not, a ho- he was not without sin, and he's entering into the holiest place where God himself dwells in all of his holiness, and they just knew it was a dangerous thing. This guy might die because he's going into the Holy of Holies, and we've sacrificed a lot, so it should be okay, but you never know. So it was a little bit of a fearful thing, in a, in an a fear of the Lord kind of way. Then there were out of, outer circles, the holy place. And even beyond that, there were further distant circles 
Now, there were places where I believe that it's that the women couldn't go into the holy place, or that the even the men, that priests alone, could go in here. Where was the altar? Altar, uh, altar was in this part. In that. Yeah, altar was in this part, and I believe I believe, and that that's where the sacrifices were made. Then men could be out here, Jewish men. But beyond that were women, Jewish women. These markers are great. And then even further beyond that were Gentiles. And the Jewish men who could go in here, they had to be um, pure, they had to be undefiled in their bodies, and that meant that they couldn't have any deformities. So if a, let's, we don't need to go into real details, but a eunuch, let's just say this, a man who was a eunuch was deformed physically. He was not allowed to enter in to the temple in a, in a, in a meaningful way. He was not, it was meaningful, but he wasn't allowed to go in far, in near, near to the Holy of Holies. He was kept away from the presence of God. And the same thing would have been true of the Samaritans. They were not allowed into this part right here. So they were born that way? I mean, the eunuch? Yeah. No. He oh. would have been made that way so that he could serve in the court of the okay. queen. Okay. Um, that was kind of the standard. I've been given to understand that was the standard procedure. That um, that was the only way that they were allowed to serve in such close proximity with the royal women. The end. Okay. So. <laughs> Any questions about this nearness and farness? The Ethiopian eunuch, he's clearly interested in Judaism. He's reading the scroll of Isaiah. We're going to read about it in a minute. But he was not allowed to enter in fully in worshiping Yahweh. Okay, so we're going to see what happens now by the power of the Holy Spirit to those who have been far off. Okay, so first, let's read. We're going to read from verse 4 in chapter 8 all the way through to the end of chapter 8. 4 through 40. I'm going to start us off. I'm going to read a few verses there, and then um, we'll just take turns and read all the way through verse 40. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits came out of many who were possessed, crying with a loud voice, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. <coughs> Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. When they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. 
Peter and John place their hands on them and they and they receive the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the, the Spirit was given uh, at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give us all give give me also this ability so that everyone whom I lay my hand on may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of our weakness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps you will, he will forgive you and for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captivity to sin. Pray to the Lord for me, that these terrible things won't happen to me. After testifying and preaching the word of the Lord in Samaria, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, and they stopped in many Samaritan villages along the way to preach the good news. As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, Go south, down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he did and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the queen, queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and he was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, Go up and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah, the prophet, and ate. Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage will stop that Go for it. Go for it. Thank you. I hope you were able to hear even while you drown out all the music and the clunking next door. I don't notice it when I'm actually talking, and then when I'm not talking, I'm like, um, 
Any thoughts, observations about this long passage before we dig in? I have one. Yeah, please. Uh, Gordon. All right. It says that the sorcerer believed and was baptized. Right. But then? That's a good question. Wanted, you know... Is he saved or not saved? Exactly. I know. And that's, you know, we have this question. Have you ever asked that question about someone in your family or a friend of yours? You know what? Well, I try not to. I try not to, too. The Lord knows. The Lord knows the thoughts and intentions of their hearts. The Lord knows if they're saved, if this is just sin, if they're really not saved. And it's really not for us to know. It's for us to pray and to lift them up to the Lord. But... But we don't need to know. We're on a need-to-know basis. We don't need to know about, you know, their personal salvation, except that, except that, except that if we have any doubts about it, we pray for them. Yeah. Well, my whole sort of take on that is that I think he had an ulterior motive in the beginning, but then after what Peter said to him, he started thinking, you know, this is much deeper than just. Yeah. Paying for. Do you think that, so you feel like his repentance is real. See, I have the opposite thing. I think he actually believes well, I, in the I'm beginning. Well, I'm thinking it might be, and that gives yeah. us hope. Right. I mean, that, Yeah. to me, that is, it could be hopeful. Wrong. No, I think it's, I think it's, Gordon, it's ambiguous. So what I think is going on, I think that he, it says that, all of the people in Samaria are amazed at him because of the wonders that he's able to do, which, by the way, in Scripture, whenever someone is doing wonders or healings or whatever, but not doing them in the power of the Lord, it's called magic mm-hmm. and evil doing. But when it's in the power of the Lord, suddenly it's miraculous, which is really interesting. It depends on the authority by which these miracles are done. And this man is not doing them in the power of the Lord, according to, according to Luke. So that's why he's called a magician. And all of the people are amazed by him, and he's just promoting himself. He is a little rock star in Samaria, and he loves the attention. He loves, loves, loves the attention. How many of us come to faith, and there are old ways and old patterns in us that the Lord has not changed yet. We can trust that he will change them at some point, but we don't always get to dictate to the Lord what t- what timeline we'd like us to, <laughs> to be changed on. And so I don't think he's fully transformed. I mean, he's... Which one of us is fully transformed at the point of our conversion? None of us. We will be fully transformed at the last day when we see Jesus face to face. Um, but so he, I do think he believes he's amazed. He's amazed by Peter and John because he knows, I can't do that. I'm a magician, but I can't do that. Something great is here. He who was called great by the people of Samaria realizes, no, this is really great. This really is it. But then he still wants to use it for his own personal gain uh, and his own personal aggrandizement. He wants to be able to have the gift that the apostles have of being able to lay hands upon people and they receive the Holy Spirit. So he's still looking at um, making a buck. And not just making a buck, but feeling really cool and having this um, social capital based on this gift of the Holy Spirit. So I, think it's, I do think it's ambiguous. Did he really believe... And, and then and, and is still sinful, or did he not really fully believe? And then when he's rebuked by Peter, he comes to a greater faith and an actual repentance. It's ambiguous, and we don't get to hear about him anymore. It's kind of interesting. Luke does not finish the story for us. So the, which says to me that the main point here really is that 
is the wisdom given to the apostles. Remember how the Holy Spirit gave such wisdom to Peter that he was able to discern the thoughts and intentions of the hearts of Ananias and Sapphira. He could see in and see their sin. And this, the whole purpose of that is not to, not to weed out from the church all you know, sin, although that's, that's always a good thing. The purpose is so that people would see and know that the Spirit of God is upon the apostles. And so you see that still here with Peter. Any other questions about that before we look at mass evangelism versus personal evangelism? <coughs> I divide it up into Peter is called, or Philip is called the evangelist. He's one of the seven who were um, who had their hand, the apostles laid hands upon them in chapter six, and he's here practicing mass evangelism. He goes out to Samaria and he just starts ministering. He heals, um, he's preaching, and they come to faith which is amazing. So he baptizes them. And when he baptizes them, they're not filled with the Holy Spirit, which is kind of confusing. Um, but, the, but the apostles come, and then they are filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, and then we have this moment um, with Simon Magus and um, Peter's rebuke. Philip is whisked away and brought on another evangelistic endeavor. And this time it's personal evangelism. He was up in the north in Samaria. Now he's whisked away to the south to the southern road, and there it's amazing. Did you see? He catches up to the chariot. The chariots go really fast, faster than a man can run. By the power of the Holy Spirit, somehow, miraculously, he's running alongside the chariot. What are you reading? <laughs> Isn't that hilarious? <laughs> and you see that the it's Holy the Spirit... It is. It feels like the wild, wild west. And you see that in First Kings too with Elijah. Elijah does that with Ahab's chariot after the rain starts to come. I don't know if you remember this, but Elijah races alongside Ahab's chariot and catches up to him. So I, I wonder if Luke is alluding to that—that that the Holy Spirit is here miraculously upon um, upon Philip. We'll just call him the Flash, shall we? Um, so there he is. This is Philip the evangelist. He's the deacon in chapter 6. He's one of the seven deacons. And we're going to see him again in chapter 20. He has five daughters who are prophets. Five unmarried daughters who live in his house who are prophets. That must have been quite a household. (laughs) So we're going to see that in chapter 20. At the end of our passage for today, he was up in Samaria. He was whisked down to Gaza. And then he ends up being... ending up in Caesarea, which we, we find him in Caesarea in chapter 20, 20 years later. So that's probably his home where he's from on the Mediterranean Sea. Now, I, and I'm reasonably, I think that's Caesarea Maritima. Okay. Um, but so we see the Holy Spirit is empowering him to witness to Jesus, and many come to faith. Those in the north come to faith, and this Ethiopian eunuch comes to faith. Um, the Ethiopian eunuch um, is reading the book of Isaiah, isn't he? And what is he reading in the book of Isaiah? He's like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. He's reading, this is one of the passages in Isaiah that um, we understand in light of Jesus, it's called the suffering servant, this idea of the suffering servant in Isaiah. And Jesus applied this passage to himself. He understood in his lifetime, he knew that he was, the, he was the suffering servant that Isaiah prophesied about. He knew that he would suffer um, and go to his death. And he did so willingly. And it's by his stripes that we are healed. That's one, the continuation of this passage. 
But that was so confusing for them in the first century because they believed that the Messiah, when he came, would be victorious. And that's why it was so confusing when Jesus went to the cross, why his disciples themselves said, no, 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 this is not going to happen to you. And he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. No, this is God's plan for the salvation of the world, essentially, is that Jesus would go to the cross so that um, by his suffering we would be healed, by his taking on himself the sin of the whole world, our sin would be forgiven, and that then we would be freed and be able to enter into relationship with a holy God. We who are far off because of our sin, by the blood of the covenant, are able to enter into relationship with God Almighty himself. Um, His holy presence, by the power of the Holy Spirit, exists in our midst, especially as we're gathered as the body of Christ, as the church, in moments like this, on Sunday mornings, um, when we're in small group. The Holy Spirit is in our midst, and that's possible because we're forgiven, because we're free, because we are cleansed by the blood of Jesus, and then we're filled with the Holy Spirit. So the Holy of Holies has come to us. Um, Jesus, the great high priest, has entered into the Holy of Holies so that we who are far off, just like the Samaritan, just like the Ethiopian eunuch, way out here on the outer circle, are able to enter in. We are invited to enter in. The promises of God are for us as well, not based on our own merit, our own cleanliness, our own physical perfection like the eunuch, our own ethnic purity like the Samaritan. No, our um, our being brought in is based on Jesus because he is all of those things and he is all of those things for us. And by his suffering, we are healed. By his suffering, we are made whole. And the promises of God are given to us. And the result of this, for both the Samaritans and for this Ethiopian eunuch, do you see what the result is in verse 8? On verse 39, does someone want to read verse 8 and someone read verse 39? Verse 8 is, so there was much joy in that city. Yes, in the city of Samaria. They've received the, um, they've been baptized. They haven't yet received the Holy Spirit, but they have heard the good news about Jesus And there's been healing and some measure of victory and restoration in their midst. They know that God is, Aslan is on the move. Something amazing is happening. Um, And they're believing in Jesus. And that belief in Jesus brings them much joy. Okay, someone read verse 39 after the eunuch is baptized. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. After him. Tell us, tell us what's the hymn. Do you remember the... Yeah, which one is it? You don't have to sing it if you don't want to, but... I don't want to. (laughs) (laughs) Which one is it, Deborah? I don't know, I can't... Off the top of my head, that's one of the... This is like Name the Seven Dwarfs, I'm not going to be able to get it. But he does go... He goes on his way rejoicing. Can't you just see him, you know, (laughs) clapping out in his chariot and being so happy and joyful, and he's bringing the good news down to Ethiopia. He's bringing the good news. The gospel goes with him. Jesus goes with him. The Holy Spirit goes with him to Ethiopia, way in in Africa there, um, way below Egypt. And so what we see in this is that those who are far off are being brought near by the blood of the covenant, 
those who are outsiders, those who are sinners, those who are not perfect Jews, um, those even, it's preparing the way for the Gentiles, for us, we're Gentiles, to be able to brought in, be brought into the people of God so that the covenant promises of God, the blessings that the Lord promised to his people Israel through their father Abraham, those are ours as well. Those are our inheritance as well. Paul talks about this in his letter to the Ephesians, specifically using this language of near and far, which is really beautiful. And I think it's really helpful to think about it in terms of both this nearness, nearness to the presence of the Lord in the temple, and then also the near... Oh, come on, it's going to be so great. (laughs) The nearness to the Lord in Jerusalem, to what God has done in Jesus through his death and resurrection, the very heart of the faith geographically here in Jerusalem. We are far away by our sin, um, and yet God has brought us near. So I'm just going to read to you from Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to do all of verses 11 through 22 because I'm actually ahead of time. I'm actually ahead of time today. I'm always over time. Ready? Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 11. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the circumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God and one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Isn't that glorious? Thank you, Paul, for summarizing it. We who are far off are brought near by the blood of the covenant. We are brought into relationship with a holy God, and that relationship on the vertical plane also opens up to us relationship with each other, that there is peace with God. He has made peace with us through Jesus, and then there's also peace and forgiveness with each other um, as an outpouring of that, that the grace poured out upon us as we receive forgiveness overflows within us, freeing our hearts to be able to turn to each other and forgive to be able to turn to each other and not hold things against each other. And that's how those very pure Jewish apostles, they did not consider themselves better than the Samaritans. They said, the Holy Spirit is upon the Samaritans. God has brought them home. Even as we know ourselves to be sinners saved by grace, he's brought us home as well. And they go out to Samaria to preach to them and to welcome them into the household of God. 
Uh, so that's part of our role, too, as the church, is to preach the good news and welcome all in, regardless of social status, which I think is a bigger thing here than in some communities, regardless of um, differences, regardless of past grievances, regardless of all of those other things that get really touted, but regardless of gender, women were brought in, thank goodness, um, and even the regardless of ethnicity and race. There will be many nations in the new Jerusalem there to worship the Lamb for all eternity. So we get to be a part of that. Let's pray, and then we have a whole five minutes where you can ask me any questions you want. Dear Lord God, thank you. Thank you for all it is that you have done for us in Jesus, in bringing us, even as we are far off in our sin, separated from you, um, even as we're far off, we don't qualify to be able to go into the Holy of Holies. We would have to be dragged out, and yet you sent Jesus in by the blood of his cross um, to bring uh, us in as well, that we would, as we follow him, as we follow the way, the truth, and the life, we are brought into fellowship with you because of his death. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being willing to suffer um, for us that we might be in fellowship with you and fellowship with the Father by the Holy Spirit. And so even even now, as you bring us in, as you confirm and strengthen us in our standing with you, our status with you as beloved daughters of God, would you also strengthen us, give us eyes to see where you would like us um, to extend that grace horizontally to those in our lives and our families and uh, among our group of friends, beyond our group of friends, to those whom we meet on the street each and every day. Lord, today, give us eyes to see how you would like to work through us. And we ask this for your glory's sake, in Jesus' name. Amen.